0: According to our next guest, approximately one in two Americans, 65 or over, will need some type of long-term or chronic care. But the good news is more and more people are able to receive that care at home. Joining us today is Dr. Bob Pekorski who is the Vice President and Medical Director for Prudential's Individual Life Insurance Business, as well as an internationally renowned lecturer and author, speaking on health care related topics and the high cost of medical expenses later in life. Welcome, Dr. Bob. Hello. Hey, it's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to having you as a guest for a while. I've seen you present... I think it was at the Forum 400 or MDRT about a year ago and you were talking about the five W's of chronic illness care and I know right now it's probably an area we have all this talk about health insurance and people not being properly covered or uninsured and underinsured thus we have the Affordable Care Act I've seen LIMRA studies come out about life insurance but I think one of the areas that people choose to ignore is the fact that all of us, as we get older, might suffer from some type of chronic illness. You did a great presentation talking about some of the latest information regarding who's using it, why they're using all those, and you came up with the five W's. So why don't we start with who will need chronic illness care?
1: Well, you're right. A lot of people don't want to face the reality that they are going to need this kind of care later in life. We need this kind of chronic illness care for a couple of reasons. One is we have problems with the activities of daily living, things such as bathing and dressing and eating, or we develop Alzheimer's disease or some other kind of dementia or cognitive impairment where we need some help. Now, it's a complicated subject, a lot of moving parts, and folks can't remember the different nuances of the different concerns. So what I have developed is the five W's of chronic illness care, and that's the who, why, where, when, and what duration of care. When I talk to an audience, I always start with the who. And here's the question I ask, and it is to look around the room and make your own best guess of who you think is going to need chronic illness care. This adds a little bit of levity to a real serious subject, but here's what happens, and this reflects what happens in real life. People look around. They look left, they look right, in front, and behind them. And what they're not doing in general is looking at themselves because they think it's somebody else. And if you're 65... The reality is about 7 in 10 people are going to need this kind of chronic illness care later in life. It's different by gender. It's about 6 in 10 men and 8 in 10 women. Women need more of the care because they tend to live to an older age. So that'll bring us to the second W, which is why. Why will chronic illness care be needed? Now, everybody's familiar with long-term care. But what they're not so familiar with is short-term care, and this is a very important distinction. And I spend a lot of time with audiences talking about short-term care because you don't need to worry about that as much when it comes to care from a financial or a caregiving perspective. So I'll give you a little bit of detail about short-term care. We need short-term care after we have cancer or a heart attack or a minor stroke or maybe an accident or hospitalization where we need somebody to help us. You do need care sometimes, but we're looking here at a few days, a few weeks, a few months, rarely longer, and then one of two things happen. We either recover or we're so sick we don't survive the illness. Now, the caregiving and financial needs are totally different here for the short-term care needs. We always tell clients and consumers that you have to be careful because Medicare won't pay for long-term care, and it won't because long-term care is custodial in nature. This means we need help with the activities of daily living. It doesn't pay for long-term care, but Medicare pays, and it pays a lot for short-term care. I'll give you an example. Every year, Medicare pays about 6 million people, and they pay $64 billion, billion with a B, dollars to folks who need short-term care, and they do this via the Medicare Part A post-acute care benefit for skilled nursing care. So what happens? if you need this kind of short-term care. Well, let's look at the financing and care needs. Financially first, we have Medicare that will pay and it'll pay a lot for these conditions. And then we have Medicare Supplement, which will pay a lot more of our bills that are not covered by Medicare. I'll give you a very practical example and a lot of your listeners can relate to this. My mom had a serious stroke some years ago and she needed some very costly rehabilitation for a few weeks after she was discharged from the hospital. She had Medicare, she had Medicare Supplement, and she left that hospital and she had almost no bills because she needed short-term care. Now, maybe she would have had to dip into her savings, but the savings wouldn't have required a lot of money because there are other payers, such as Medicare and the Medicare Supplement, and maybe she would have had to talk to her family to provide help, and they're willing to do this because it's short-term, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or a couple of months. The point here is that these conditions generally are not going to bankrupt families. But there are conditions that might, and these are the conditions that cause a need for long-term care. These conditions are the things that you and I dread. It's the Alzheimer's, serious stroke, frailty, crippling arthritis, Parkinson's disease. Once there's a need for care for these conditions, that need for care will go on for months, years and sometimes for the remainder of our lives. And I always remind people to think about where they live and the excellent medical care in their town or in the nearby referral center. But nonetheless, if they develop one of these conditions, like Alzheimer's or the serious stroke, and it progresses to the point where we need chronic illness care, few, if any, people are going to get better, and they're going to need that care for the rest of their lives. And here, the financing and care options are totally different than with short-term care. We're looking at Medicare and Medicare supplement. They're not going to pay much, if anything at all, because they don't pay for long-term care. We might have some insurance. We might have some savings. But now that savings might have to stretch out over months, years, or the rest of our lifetime. We have our family. But here, we're asking our families to stop their lives and care for us for months, years, or maybe the remainder of our lives. Then we might have some equity in our home. And finally, the payer of last resort is always Medicaid. So that was the second W.
2: That's excellent. You know, at least you clarified very well the difference between that short duration and long duration because, of course, as advisors and insurance professionals, we talk to clients about these issues and there's a great misconception between what Medicare will pay for and what they won't. So often you hear people say, well, That'll be taken care of with my health insurance. And the long duration stuff is what we fear the most as a really drain on their assets or income because let's face it, if you have an event that as you transition to either ongoing care, either in the home or off-site, that's a whole different level of care, as you well said, that Medicare isn't designed to accommodate. So let's kind of talk about that next phase or that next W, the where, because where care is given obviously drives the cost, which ultimately we'll start to talk about how people can then protect themselves or at least prepare themselves for that potential cost. So share with us the where.
1: The wear is surprising to a lot of people, and it's actually basically good news. A lot of people have been accustomed to thinking that if I need this kind of care, I will be in a nursing home, and really nothing could be farther from the truth. Here's what I tell audiences. I tell them that most people in this room will never see the inside of a nursing home unless you are visiting a friend or relative or you are there for a short-term need after an injury or hospitalization. Where will you be then? You'll be mainly at home, cared for by your family. The study was done last year by the Congressional Budget Office, and they looked at the millions of Americans across the United States, and they asked, where are these folks receiving chronic illness care? And here's what they found. Four out of five of them were at home being cared for by their families. Four out of five, the vast majority. Some people are in a nursing home, but it's a small number relatively. About one in eight people receiving this care are in a nursing home. And assisted living is even smaller. It's about one in 20 people. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon that most people don't recognize, and that is there has been a mass exodus out of nursing homes over the last two decades. The use of nursing homes peaked in the year 1989 at about 2 million people, and now it's about 1.3 million people. So it's gone down precipitously, and this is despite the fact that we're getting much older as a society. The reason why this is occurring is because folks don't want to be in a nursing home. They have a strong preference for being at home. We're taking better care of ourselves, so many of us don't get to a nursing home and need that level of care. We have a lot of caregivers now. There are so many baby boomers who can care for their elderly relatives, so we have family caregivers. And the last reason is there have been changes in the entitlement programs in the United States, particularly Medicaid, which is shifting payments away from nursing homes into the community, mainly to families who are providing the care. And what this means, very important, is that the folks who are being cared for at home now are a lot sicker than they were in the old days because they were in nursing homes, and now they are being cared for by families. And we all have a story about our relatives who may have needed medications monitored by us at home, injectables, intravenous fluids that were given, wound care, administering oxygen, mechanical ventilators, tube feedings, even things like home dialysis. So the, the focus needs to keep coming back and back on the families. And the last thing I'll mention is another amazing statistic, and that is that if you look at all the money that is spent on long-term care, chronic illness care in the United States, suppose we have $100. We're going to make an easy analogy. Of that $100 spent for chronic illness care, $71 is paid for by families. It's paid for by families either as direct out-of-pocket expenses that are reimbursed or paid, or it's paid for by free medical care care. care that the families provide
2: as compared to one dollar paid by private long-term care out of a hundred so that's barely one percent i heard a statistic i don't know if it's accurate or not was from the long-term care association when we had him as a guest seven percent of america has private long-term care insurance as one of the tools to protect themselves and this study that you talked about of that hundred dollars spent on care it basically is was it one dollar is paid by private long-term care
1: it's about $1, and the statistics are that every year as a country, we spend about $725 billion, billion with a B, dollars on long-term care. Private long-term care insurance pays $7.5 billion of this, which is about 1%, $1 out of every
2: 100 And then families are at $71, or 70% of those dollars. That's actually kind of mind-blowing. I've been doing this for 25 years and talking about long-term care, but I realized there was a lot of people transitioning from let's call it skilled care to assisted living environments and things like that but how you phrase that a mass exodus from nursing homes it's really evident where people want their care to be delivered and it isn't always in an institutionalized level of care
0: well that's absolutely
1: right that is why the family caregivers are so important because we will keep our loved ones out of a nursing home as long as we can
2: Excellent. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break and we've got, I know, another W or so to cover. Plus, I know you're going to talk about some things that our listeners should consider as ways to insulate themselves from these possible realities. So please stay tuned. Don't forget to visit the Resources for You section on your Real Wealth Professionals website. You'll find links to many educational tools and resources. You'll also find a must-read section, including many great authors who have been guests on past programs. Feel free to order any books that interest you or someone you know. Welcome back as we continue a conversation today with Dr. Robert Pekorski, and we'd like to lovingly call him Dr. Bob. So thanks for joining us again, Dr. Bob. And before the break, we were talking about some of the W's related to chronic illness, and we've covered a few. Now let's get right back to it and share with our listeners some of your final W's to be aware of, and then we'll talk about some solutions.
1: All right, thank you. We have talked about the who, why, and where, and now we're going to discuss when are we going to need chronic illness care. Now, most people understand that it's going to be at an older age, but there's more to it than that. There's more to the story. It's at an older age when you and I are off alone because we've lost our caregiver. We've cared for our husband or wife, and they have passed on. And now we find ourselves alone at a very old age at a very vulnerable time of life. And the reasons why this is important is because as we get older, we're more likely to have problems with the activities of daily living. We're more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease or some kind of cognitive impairment. So as we age, we're more and more at risk for needing this kind of care. The last of the Ws is what duration of care is needed. And here's actually some very good news within this group of statistics. If you look at folks who need chronic illness care, about 3 in 10 of all people will never need any chronic illness care during their lives. If you're 65 and you're looking forward, 3 in 10 will never need care. So that's really good news. The next part of the good news is some people are going to need chronic illness care for just a short duration, up to a year. Now, up to a year could be a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You get the idea. A short period of time, that's 17%. That's almost 2 in 10. So what we have here is we have almost half the people will need either no care of this type or care for a short period of time, up to one year. So that is really good news. And there's more good news. If we look at needs for care of a duration one to two years, that's about 12% of people. That's one in eight. Two to five years is 20%, which is one in five. And more than five years is another 20%, which is one in five. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what's the good news with the care that's needed for these longer durations? The good news is that no matter how long that care is needed, the majority of it will be provided at home by our families.
2: I got to ask, too, because as we talk about this subject with clients, Dr. Bob, there's this feeling that, like you started out our program of it's not going to be me, and they talk about their family genetics, for example. In my family, anyone who has needed extended care, it's exceeded 10 to 15 years. So the statistics are not too relevant in my bloodline. It seems we live a long time, but not always with the best quality. So my grandmother, -grandmother, great-grandmother, great-aunt all lived into the early 100, 99 in one case, and they all spent 10 to 15 plus years in needing different levels of care as their conditions progressed. But when we talk to clients, They'll many times say, well, in my bloodline, everybody died quickly, or Uncle Joe was in a facility less than a year, so that <laughs> means I will be. So do you have any thoughts on that misconception, if it is one?
1: There are a lot, of, a lot of factors going on here. First, there's a fair amount of good news, and that is that we're taking better care of ourselves today. A lot of folks will be healthy until very near the end of their lives. Other good news is that the likelihood of Alzheimer's disease may be decreasing. There are some studies out of both the United States and Europe, very recent, this is last summer, that show that folks in their 90s have a lower likelihood of getting Alzheimer's than they did in the past. And the reason why is because we have better medical care, which brings down our cholesterol and our blood pressure over time, which contribute to the likelihood of getting Alzheimer's disease. And we have better education, which increases our cognitive reserve or our residual extra brain power. So we may be less likely to develop Alzheimer's in the future. To get really to your point, though, of the clients who think, well, that may not happen to me, here's what I tell a lot of folks. Some people take really, really good care of themselves, and that means that they tend to live longer on average. And if you live longer on average, you reach the ages into your 90s where you really are much more likely to have strokes, Alzheimer's, frailty, and a kind of crippling arthritis. So keeping yourself in superb medical condition Does not mean you won't need this kind of care later in life but you may just be pushing it back.
0: You know I can give you an example of that I had a client and unfortunately they decided to drop their insurance for long-term care because as a senior he was an award-winning athlete and felt that he'll never have a problem and exactly what you just described he had a stroke if he was in poor shape the stroke probably would have killed him but because he was in such good health He survived it, but he didn't survive it unscathed. He's at the point where he needs that long-term care. So I also know when you talk about families, families can pitch in a lot of times for that short duration, but I've had in my own family with my mother, we ran out of shifts to help her out. And I think that's where a lot of people say, well, Title 19 will take care of me. Well, they'll only take care of you if you're broke. My family will take care of me. Well, they can take care of you to a point.
2: What I'm finding
0: in planning is in order to be prepared for that, there's many different resources that you need to tap into. It can be family, it can be government programs, but sometimes also insurance. Can you comment about that?
1: Right. Whenever I talk to audiences about this subject, I try to end with what I call a call to action at the end. And I encourage clients to call family meetings and to invite parents, children, and other potential caregivers And here's what I tell them, ask the difficult question. If husband or wife or mom or dad need this kind of care later in life, specifically who will do what, when, where, and for how long. When you start to have these discussions, part of the discussion will involve finances. And if you need to pay for chronic illness care, there are a couple of general ways to do this. One is to pay out of your savings, and the other is to use insurance. If you use insurance, there are two general options. The first one is traditional long-term care insurance and other policies that have a long-term care writer, such as a life insurance or an annuity policy that has a long-term care writer. I group these policies together like this because the benefit structure tends to mirror what we see with long-term care insurance, and that means we require bills and reimbursements, in most cases, and the policy pays primarily for professional care rather than for family care. So that was option number one. Option number two is life insurance that has a different kind of rider. It's called an accelerated benefit rider. What this rider will do is advance the life insurance benefit if there's a need for chronic illness care. A number of companies, including Prudential, sell this kind of rider. The version that we sell at Prudential is called the Benefit Access Rider. My wife and I actually bought life insurance that has this benefit access rider, and we bought it because it has two very unique features. The first one is that it's cash. So if you find you need chronic illness care later in life, there will never be bills or receipts because it's a cash benefit. The other unique feature is that it has remarkable flexibility. If you find you need this kind of care later in life, you can use the benefit for virtually anything you want. Some people may say, I want to take that cash, and I want to use it for professional care at home, or in assisted living, or a nursing home, and you can do that, but that's not what a lot of people want to do. What a lot of people want to do is they want to take that cash, and they want to pay their husband, wife, son, daughter, daughter daughter-in-law, sister, neighbor, close friends, the people that they love to care for them at home. And yes, they may take that cash, and they want to hire a professional caregiver in, from time to time to supplement the care and to relieve the primary caregiver, the family member who's providing most of the care. Now, some folks need this kind of care, but they don't ever need the money to actually pay for caregiving itself. But here what they can do is they can use it to supplement their retirement income. Very important consideration because this kind of care is needed late in life, and that retirement nest egg may have been spent down and people are hurting for money. So they can use the money from the benefit access rider, and they can use it for rent, groceries, to take that trip of a lifetime, to have a family reunion, to fly the grandchildren in to see them, or simply to have somebody cut the grass or to blow the snow off the driveway.
2: It really provides the family ultimate flexibility versus like you mentioned with the other traditional coverages, which might be applicable. I mean, every family should sit down and explore each approach and what makes most sense. But what you just described does give that ultimate flexibility because I do have, let's say, a number of clients with traditional long-term care that will say, well, can I collect that benefit to pay my daughter or my son? Unless they're the licensed caregiver at the facility, generally no. So this sounds like it gives People a lot more flexibility in planning. And I, of course, assume if no care is needed and it's designed and packaged as part of a life insurance policy, ultimately then there would be a tax free death benefit that would benefit the family instead of being used for health care, correct?
1: That's correct. And that is one of the big reasons why this is so popular, this kind of an option. You're always going to get the benefit either for your heirs or you can use it for chronic illness care. People don't like this idea of buying any kind of policy like a long-term care insurance policy that is use it or lose it. They want to get a benefit one way or another.
2: And that makes sense, especially for something that we all kind of want to, I guess, deny that we're going to need. So it is a challenging area. You know, the takeaway certainly for me today is, and hopefully for our listeners, you hit on this that we always talk about this with estate planning and other types of planning. Start with the family meeting. There's nothing more powerful than to get that family together and have that discussion because that discussion really applies to all of them. Even though mom and dad might be the eldest in the room, the reality is getting everybody's feelings on the table because as we work with families, most families, especially the children, will say to us, we're just relieved that mom and dad have done some planning because we don't know what they want. There's not as much family communication today about money and other things as there probably should be. So. Definitely start with the family meeting and then incorporate that with a professional insurance agent or advisor who can bring to the table the solutions that you talked about today, Dr. Bob, if they want to choose using insurance as a protection. So as this marketplace continues to develop, look forward to having you back in the future.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button.